So I love to people watch. I was never good at sports and anything, but I got a varsity letter in people watching, right? Fun to just kind of be a student of what people do when they do it. So have you been in an airplane or a bus or a train and you're squeezed up against people? They're right here, they're right here, and you don't talk to each other. Have you been there where you're like really close to a lot of people, but nobody talks? It's fascinating. You'd think you'd say, hi, how you doing? What's up, dude? But everyone's face forward or watch people in a line. Have you seen this lately? You're in a line for a concert. You're lying at the store. You're waiting for something to happen. And what happens? You pull out your phone. You're not going to talk to the bozo next to you. There's no way you're interacting with anyone. Put your earpods in, iPods. I don't know what you put in your ears. You know, and you're, you, people don't engage at a restaurant, right? People are out to dinner. Everybody's got their phones out. We can be surrounded by people and we don't even interact. I can go to the grocery store and I don't have to talk to anybody now. I just push the button, I self, I like that little button, click, click, roll the stuff out myself, do the whole cashier thing all by myself. I don't need to talk to you or anyone, I'm all by myself. I mean, if I asked you to tell me the names of your neighbors in your apartment complex, or the people in the houses around you, do you know all their names? I mean, we don't tend to even know our neighbors anymore. And I was baking the other day, and I ran out of sugar. And of course, if you run out of sugar, you just go ask your neighbor, no. You go buy it. I'm renovating my bathroom. I need a jackhammer. I'm going to buy one. I'm not going to borrow because I have to know someone and say, I need something. No way. I've got problems with my wife, problems with my kids. i got issues at home, at work. Do you think I'm going to talk to anybody? Surrounded by tons of people, and yet... Why is it that I feel so alone? Why is it that we can be surrounded? We could have people all around us and yet we don't interact with anyone. Connected but not connected, right? In England recently, this past year, the government appointed a minister of loneliness. Because the government could see what was going on with people that were surrounded by people, and yet we feel disconnected and alone. You know, I like Steve Harvey, you know that guy? And I want to go on Family Feud. I think I would be so much fun. And if I was on Family Feud, I try to imagine myself. If I was on Family Feud, and he asked me the question, and I got my hand out, I'd be ready, right? I'd be ready. And if the question went up, where is the only place that you can be that you won't feel alone? I'd go, boom, the church. <clears throat> Somehow, even in the church of Jesus Christ, you want to be connected to people. You come in, you get your cup of coffee, you're rubbing shoulders, the stupid church shake, greeting time. Hi, how you doing? Yeah, we know all each other, we got all these antics, all these motions, but we don't know anyone. And we could leave here today feeling more alone than when we came in. Why? Is that God's design for us? To be disconnected and alone? No way. So we're in this series talking about why we do certain things in the church, Today we're going to ask the question, why do we do church groups? Like, why do we have all kinds of groups in our church? Is it just because we only use this building one day a week? We might as well use the space the rest of the week too. So let's just fill up the menu with lots of groups. Is that why? No, it's actually a profound reason why we do groups. 
Because, did you think about it, God is a group. God, in and of himself, is a group. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have lived together in perfect union, not needing anything else outside themselves, a partnership that's lasted for all eternity, and in their love they created us in their image. The reason we do groups is we were designed by God who is a group, and to an extent Without our connection with other people, we are incomplete. We're not the fullness of who we were designed to be. He made us to be like him, which means interconnected in partnership and relationship forever. And so we do groups. I, I want to give you, the, I think, the best biblical description of this found in Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, turn them on, open them up. Acts chapter 2. Acts, if you find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, it's the next book after that. It starts with an A. Acts chapter 2. And I find this description fascinating of the beauty of connectivity the way God designed it. This isn't a prescription, but it's a description of the early church. And what I think is fascinating about Acts chapter 2 is the beginning of the chapter to the end of the chapter, if you look at Acts chapter 2, it actually gives you all the essential features of the church. It describes the church in the essential elements of the church, which we'll see in just a minute together. So a little bit of context. Jesus has lived with his disciples for three and a half years. They've lived together, slept together, just interacted like crazy all day, all night together. And Jesus says to his disciples, I'm leaving. He says, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again and I'm going to leave you. But don't worry, dudes. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And the only thing better than Jesus walking alongside you through life is to have Jesus live inside you by the person of the Holy Spirit living inside us. So he says to the disciples, I'm going away, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who's going to live inside you. And so in the beginning of Acts chapter 2, what we find is that this all took place. Jesus died, he rose again, he ascends back to heaven, and the disciples are waiting. They're like, hey, Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to come. They're kind of scared. They're disoriented. They're waiting. They're waiting. What's going to happen next? They're in this room together when the Holy Spirit comes. They don't know what to expect, what it's going to be like how it's all going to roll out, and something fascinating happens when the Spirit of God comes. These are everyday people, and they probably speak one language, kind of like us. And in a moment, the Spirit comes on them, and they begin to speak in all kinds of other languages. It was like me, you know, I, te I speak Jersey English. I don't speak anything else. If all of a sudden I started to speak out in Russian... All of a sudden, I started to speak out in Swahili. People would be like, what's going on? Something incredible happens. The disciples are in this room. The Holy Spirit comes on them. They start to speak another language. But here's what's fascinating. At that same time, their city is celebrating a festival. So there's all these international people there in Jerusalem. And these disciples start speaking other kinds of languages and start to speak in the language, the native tongue of these other people talking about Jesus. And these internationals are hearing this for the first time. They're hearing in their own language the goodness of God declared in their language. And they're like, this is perplexing. This is crazy. This is weird. They must be drunk. I mean, how could they do this on their own? And Peter stands up 
and says, let me explain things to you. And he actually preaches a sermon in Acts chapter 2 and explains the good news of Jesus by opening up the Bible to them. And I want you to look at verse 37, Acts chapter 2, verse 37, because this has a huge impact. All this craziness goes on, and Peter says, let me explain. He opens up the Bible and talks to them about Jesus, and verse 37 gives us the result. When the people heard this preaching about Jesus, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Like in response to what they're hearing, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. And you start to see the aspects of church, right? There's someone, Holy Spirit's using someone to speak from the Bible. They're humbled. The people that are hearing this are humbled. It pierces their hearts. It begins to change them. They put their trust in Jesus. What should we do? Oh, you should go public with your faith and be baptized. It sounds like church, right? Holy Spirit-empowered preaching, people responding, baptism. And in that moment, 3,000 people come to know Christ. It's actually known theologically as the first moment of the church. It started, the Church of Jesus Christ started in that moment when a mega church happens. And if you stopped right there and thought, okay, that's what the church is about. Someone gets up, the Holy Spirit preaching of God's Word, people respond, there's baptism. Isn't that all there is? Isn't that enough? But you look at verse 42, what happens next? All these people are there, they hear the truth, they're baptized, that's sort of their Sunday experience, but look what happens next in verse 42. These people that just heard this truth describes their lifestyle. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I mean, you start out with this description of kind of a church-like gathering of a lot of people, and then it gives this beautiful description of how they act outside of the big gathering, what they do, how they lived, which is so much more than a church attendance. And they weren't alone. I love verse 42 that it says they devoted themselves to a number of things. These people who came to know Christ devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What's that mean? It's a biblical truth. They were devoted not just on Sundays, but to the biblical truth of understanding who God is by opening their Bibles not just on Sundays. They devoted themselves to a word fellowship, which is a biblical word that just means partnership. They were connected with one another. It wasn't just these 
hi, how you doing? I'm Joe, and you just move on. It wasn't just acquaintance. They knew each other. They knew each other's names. They knew each other's needs. They worshiped God together. They says they prayed together. They talked to God together. Verse 42 says they broke bread, which represents that they took communion together. There was this connectivity, this fellowship, this partnership where they knew each other, they were connected, they cried together, they sang together, they praised God together, they learned together, they understood each other in a deep daily way, not just on Sundays. And verse 44 kind of shows us what this looks like. It says they knew each other so well that if there was a need among them, Presumably someone had a financial need. Other people were willing to sell their junk or their good stuff, bad stuff, sell it to help people. Like they went to the Jerusalem Craigslist and unloaded property so that they could meet the needs of people in their community. That's how much they knew each other. That's how much they loved each other. That's how much they served each other. I try to imagine what this would look like if it happened here. If it happened here at Faith Church, if we had the kind of community that wasn't just rows of people showing up on Sundays for 60 minutes, but that there was a real sense that they, the people of Faith Church, devoted themselves to Christ-centered groups, that if we as a community didn't settle for, we're just going to gather one day a week, but there was a deep connection outside of this room where together we knew each other's needs and we knew each other's names. We cried together, we prayed together, we shared our temptations and doubts and struggles together. You know, maybe if we were devoted to Christ-centered groups like this, we wouldn't feel so alone, so independent, so unknown. The reason we do groups here is because we're created in the image of God. And God is a group, and he knows we're designed to be in group together with other people, that we're incomplete by ourselves, but together we're complete and full. So God wants us to group together because he knows that groups are where we grow. That's where we grow the best. Certainly on a Sunday when we gather together, we learn something, we're encouraged, we have our hope tanks filled. Absolutely. But I'm just monologuing up here in front of you. How do you really begin to grow in your faith, begin to understand the Bible? It's when you get together outside of this moment with other people and you begin to have dialogue, discussion, talk about what it looks like, what it means. Because just listening, your minds are smart. You have so many ideas running through your head and you want to ask this and you want to ask that. How, where does that happen? Outside these moments, you can apply the truth of God's Word when you're connected in smaller settings. So I, when I was in high school, I went to a church like Faith. And there was this older guy named George. He's probably 27, 28. And he knew me and he knew my best friend, Brian. And he, he said to us one Sunday, hey, Joe, Brian, do you guys, you guys want to hang out with me during the week and we could talk about the Bible? And we were like, okay, cool. And he gave me this book. I was 17 years old. It's a book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And he, he wrote something inside it that I thought I would share with you. He says, Joe, I'm really looking forward to spending time with you and Brian. 
going through this book and just discussing life. I'm sure it will be profitable for all of us. I sincerely hope that through this book and the time we spend together that we will grow in our knowledge of God, not simply facts about God, but growth in our relationship with God. He wrote, Merry Christmas, Love in Christ, George. P.S. I believe J.I. Packer would approve of the cigar I am also including it with this gift. So he gave me a cigar and a book, and we hung out together for weeks and months throughout my senior year. And I'll tell you what, I can't tell you one sermon I heard from that year, but I remember meeting with George every week. And the things that I learned and the ways he showed me in the Bible who God was and how I could relate to it and how I could be engaged with God. And we did it in a real way. It wasn't we're just plastic Christians going through the motions. Like we really dug in and tried to understand and learn. I learned a lot on Sundays, but I learned more from this smaller, not Sunday experience because groups of people that are smaller than this are where we grow, but groups of people are also where we're known. See, there's something great about coming into this place that's large. There's lots of people here. There's something good about being a part of a crowd where you can come in and explore having a relationship with God in a very anonymous way. That's great. There's something good about that here at Faith that you could decide to kind of watch and see and learn and decide if you want to be a part of our family or not, you're anonymous, you're out there. But if you want to grow, at some point, you must begin to group, get connected with other people, and you can't be anonymous any longer. The Bible is full of all kinds of truth, but its application is custom to your personality and circumstance. How will that happen? It's sitting in rows, but it's connected in groups. It was in this small group of guys, George, Brian, and myself, in my senior year in high school, where I learned to fight sexual temptation. Because every guy struggles with it, and a sermon on sexual temptation versus me and my friend and a mentor sitting together talking about how to apply the truth of God to fight against temptation and be prayed for and encouraged, that's where I experienced growth and change because George and Brian knew my name and they knew what I needed and they encouraged me. It's why we offer sermon-based small groups where you take a sermon, what we talk about on Sunday and you pick it apart and learn more about it during the week. It's why we do recovery groups. It's why we do groups for just women and groups for just men so that we can get together and have our names and our na needs known. But if you're not in a group, you remain disconnected, isolated, alone, and you're a Christ follower. It is wired into our DNA by God that we're connected to other people. We're incomplete by ourselves. But why is it, if that's true, and all of us know it, we sense it, why is it that we resist grouping together? A couple reasons. I think we don't group because we don't have time. I mean, some of you are like, I barely can get to church for 60 minutes. Do you want more than that? Actually, no, I don't want more than that. I know I need more than that. Do you? And you have time for what you want to have time for. If it is of no value to you, then you will have no time for it. But if you see something is valuable, then you make time for it. If you don't want to make time for it, then you will remain disconnected, busy, running around, 
and feel like you're doing it all by yourself. You have time for what you want to make time for. I don't think we group well because we don't think we need others. We're very independent as a people, very independent. And so we think, you know, life's good, I'm educated, you know, I got my share of problems, but for the most part I got my job, I got my family, I got my this, that, the other thing. I'm very independent and I don't need any help. So I'm certainly not getting into a group. But when the storms of life come, because they come from all of us, what then? It's kind of like finances, right? So you might be experiencing in your life, you have a decent job and you're making some money and you're thinking, I'll always have a decent job and I'll always be making money. That's not the wise way to live. The wise way is on the sunny days when things are going well financially to be making investments so that on the rainy days you'll have something. The same is true relationally. If on the good days you think life is good and you'll never need any help, you do nothing to invest for the rainy days. When life hits the fan, what are you going to do? When you need someone to pray for you, someone to encourage you, someone to check you and go, you're acting wrong, it's in relationship where you're connected with other people, where they know you and you know them, and you're applying biblical truth together. That's how you make it through. But if you make no investment in relationship, then you find yourself in a storm alone, and that's not God's design for you. I don't think we group because we don't want to be vulnerable, right? It's vulnerable to be in a group because people will know my name and they'll know my true story. So you like being in a crowd because you're anonymous, and there's something, again, good about that. Because when you get into a group, then we'll know. And maybe you're not just, you can't just put on your plastic Christian face when you're in the crowd. Because when you come into the group, people know and see the real deal of Joe and the real struggles and the real temptations and the real heartache and the real doubts. Some of us don't want a group because we don't want to take a risk of people knowing the real Joe and the real junk. And some of us don't want to be in a group because we've done Christian groups and there's some weirdos in Christianity, right? There's some real birds, and you're like, I don't really want to do that. Or maybe you've been in a group before, and you got hurt in a group. I mean, that's where someone really disappointed you, really let you down. But just because you've been hurt or you've bumped into some Christian weirdos doesn't mean that you throw away the idea of connection with other people. It just means you haven't found the right group yet. But God's solution is for us to be connected together and not go at it alone. And if you never make a risk to engage with other people, you will never gain the reward of connectivity, care, growth, being known. So I'm going to stereotype for just a moment. Bear with me. I think women tend to see their need and desire groups more than guys do. I mean, not all the time, but for the most part, there's something in the DNA of women that are like, oh, I like a group. And, you know, they group well together. They seek it, like it, enjoy it. Us guys, heck no, I'm grouping with anybody, especially at church. I mean, I got my golf group. I got my fire, fire company group. I got my gun group. But I don't do groups with Christianity. I ain't sitting around singing kumbaya with anybody right? And so guys tend to be really independent and not want to group together. The reality is, though, guys, we all struggle with the same stuff. 
We all doubt, we all have the similar temptations, we all have similar frustrations at work and at home, and we wrestle, we struggle. Being known by other Christian men is the single greatest way you are going to grow and be cared for. And so I kind of have a commercial for you guys, because as men, we need connection. And so coming up this fall in September, I want to invite you to come with me on Faith Church's Men's Weekend Away, where we're going to unplug, we're going to be disconnected, we're going to laugh a ton together, and I want to teach on what does it look like to follow God together? What does it look like to be men who lead in our lives together? And it costs something But the cost, listen, I'll sell something on Craigslist for you to go, all right? I'll do something for you to go. If you would consider going, we only have 300 spots, and there are thousands of people that call Faith Church home. So if you want to get a part of this event, we need you to put a deposit down now, like ASAP. There's people out in the commons that can ask your questions about this. We would love for you to consider going with us away on our men's weekend. I think it's going to add value. And ladies, let me just give you one little piece of advice. Don't nag him. It doesn't work. If you have a man in your life who you go, this would be good for them, don't nag him. But maybe suggest it and say the investment of your time our time, the investment of money, our money, is worth you going on this event because being connected is where you're going to grow. Just a little commercial for that. Last thing I'll say to you, Faith Church is as big as you want it to be and as small as you need it to be. So it's a big place. There's lots of people here. Okay, that allows you the space to just come, check it out, learn, decide if you want to follow Jesus. Decide if you want to be a part of this family, that's great. But at some point, you have to move from anonymous to connected. And it's so great to be a large family that has lots of resources, lots of diversity, incredible. But at some point, if you want to be cared for, if you want to grow, then you must group, and we have tons of options for you on your app or on your website, but the reality is like nobody's going to come to you and say, hey, you should join this probably. It's on your time and in your way that you go to the electronic resources or go to somebody in the back in the comments and say, hey, I want to get engaged. But if you don't, you'll be alone and disconnected. And please, last thing, please don't complain to me that Faith Church is large anymore more. Like, don't complain to me that Faith Church is so big I can't get connected. Not true. It's as small as you need it to be when you're ready to engage. And the reality is, no, the pastors aren't going to know your names. We would love to, but we can't. And please don't whine that Pastor Joe didn't make you a casserole when you had knee surgery. That's not the point of the pastors. Our role is to lead and encourage and support you, us, to be the family of God we were designed to be. If you want to be cared for, if you want to grow, if you want someone to visit you in the hospital, if you want someone with you when you go through a storm, you get connected to a group. And that's how you will grow and be cared for. This is the body of Christ. And each one of us is a part of it. Maybe it's time for you to move out of the rows into a group because that's where you'll be known and cared for. Let's pray together. God, thank you 
for loving us so much that you adopt us into the family by faith, that when we come into your family, not only do we have a relationship with you, but you designed us to have a relationship with the body of Christ, the family of God, brothers and sisters. So please help us, God, when we feel like we don't have enough time, give us the ability to prioritize. When we're afraid or ashamed of being vulnerable, if we're shy and maybe uncomfortable, give us the courage to take a risk. Join a group for men or a group for women. God, forgive us for thinking we can do this life alone. Forgive us for our independence. Forgive us for being content just coming to church. Help us. We want to grow. We want to care for and serve one another. Give us the ability, the time, the priority, the courage to connect with other people and in doing so, receive the care, the love, the support, and give the care and the love and the support you designed your family to give. And all of this, God, is intended by you to cause us to make a name for you in this world, that others would see the family of God at Faith Church every day of the week and on Sundays too, and see how we live together. And so be drawn to you, our living, strong God. Please, add to your number daily, not just Sundays, those who are being saved because of how we interact together as a family. I pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.